If you would turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and look this morning at um, basically verses 4 and 5 and consider God's plans for Israel. We've talked about uh, their rejection of the Messiah and uh, this morning we want to address the virgin birth and the big question uh, that is pivotal for all of human history and for all of mankind, uh, the question that Christ asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And that pivotal and important question. Uh, the context of the passage is that it's, it is to the Israelites that the Messiah came, he was given, it's through their line, and Paul is making that that point in this passage this morning. So I want to read from verses 1 there, Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5. I'm telling the truth. In Christ I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all, God blessed forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your word and for the truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your great mercies to us in Christ Jesus, that you sent your son and that your grace has been given uh, for sinful mankind and Uh, Our hope is in you, Lord, and in the provision that you've made in Christ Jesus. May we consider these things this morning. And uh, Lord, we're very mindful that Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, But as many as received him, to them he gave power and the authority to become children of God. And we're so thankful, Lord God, that we can... Uh, make the boast and the claim that we are your children uh, adopted through the work of our Lord Jesus into your family. And so we ask for your grace this morning that you would give us understanding, a comprehension of these truths from your word that are needful for us as your people. And Lord God, order our steps in accordance with your word. Establish us in the truth that comes from the scripture that we may have a firm foundation that we may be noble ambassadors for Jesus Christ and ministers of reconciliation for the name and for the glory of your son. Uh, Do that work in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at uh, then at uh, who are the Israelites uh, and the Apostle Paul identifies them, uh, letting 
us and letting everyone know that that uh, he would give his own life. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because in, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, uh, for a good man, uh, some would hardly, uh, would not dare to die, but uh, for, uh, <clears throat> he makes that, that point that, uh, that for a righteous man, none would dare, dare to die, but uh, but for a good man, some might even dare to die. But the Apostle Paul is willing to, to die for those uh, that uh, are the enemies or has uh, declared enemies. And uh, they, they hated the Apostle Paul uh, and were opposed to the Apostle Paul. Uh, and it's because they were opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see something very similar in Paul's life that was that immolates the, the Lord Jesus as he went to the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the nature and the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ that he could look upon his enemies and forgive them. And the Apostle Paul follows after the Lord Jesus Christ in his attitude toward the Israelites. So as we consider God's divine election that God chose these people, they are the Israelites, they are a nation. Now you say, well, why did God choose them? And, and we, you can only say, I don't know. I mean, God knows why he chose this particular group of people, this nation, this people. But to Israel, he gave all of these, these wonderful uh, blessings, these these uh, wonderful uh, revelation of who he is, of God, to fallen man, to sinful men. And so God's plan for the nations was to give to them his uh, son. And he, uh, <clears throat> or to give them to his son, I should say. And then uh, God's plan for Israel is to save a remnant and ultimately their nation. Uh, and God's plan for the church is to award overcomers as co-heirs. And we'll see these things in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, but notice again the Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Surely I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give to you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Uh, so the nations and the earth are very much in God's plan for redemption, to bring them under the subjection of his son and ultimately to bring about that prayer that Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come that will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so uh, looking on, there, there's a number of things that are mentioned uh, in this passage. Um, and Paul's kinsmen are given the revelation of God to mankind. To Israel, God gave these things. Uh, it is from the Israelites that we receive the scripture and all of the the revelation of who God is. Uh, there was, uh, first of all, Israel 
as theocratic by name. Uh, it, uh, it means uh, God prevails, Israel prevails. Um, and so Jacob's name was, was changed to Israel. Uh, and then they were adopted as sons. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt uh, I called my son. God chose them. He divinely, according to his will and his purposes, chose Israel. And they have that, that place even today, the remnant. And ultimately, the nation will be uh, received and, and know the fullness of that adoption as sons. Um, they are the recipients of the glory. They, they found the glory uh, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of the meeting when they came out and blessed the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Uh, other nations hasn't seen such things, but Israel has been blessed in a special way with the revelation of the glory of God. And they were given these wonderful things. A number, uh, fourth thing is that nationally, they were established by covenant. God swore an oath to them and made a promise, the scripture tells us. Uh, so they're, they're special and uh, have been uh, special in regard to God's divine choice. Uh, and then they were given the law through Moses. <clears throat> and we find that all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. God gave it to them. He chose them. He gave uh, these wonderful things. And, and Paul's rehearsing this uh, in regard to the, uh, the, the blessings that fell upon the people. And they were blessed with temple service the sacrifices that were made all through the Old Testament, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins was, uh, was exercised over and over and time and again, both for the nation and for individuals. And these, uh, this temple service was uh, a picture, a model of, of what God was going to do through his son and what God's salvation meant. And, and it was... Uh, a precursor for, for the glory that God was bringing to, to earth. And it was given to Israel, and we know of it through Israel. And then finally they confirmed uh, the promises there. Um, and <clears throat> we, we look at Second uh, Chronicles, or I'm sorry, uh, Romans 15, 8, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Those promises are given by God and what God has promised and what God has said God is going to do. Um, so, and that's going to help us when we understand the unfolding of things prophetically and what God's plans are in a future way uh, for the coming of his kingdom and for the accomplishment of those things uh, which he has uh, determined to bring about. And then uh, to them belong the patriarchs. Yes, they belong the patriarchs. Uh, Paul's kinsmen are given the, 
revelation of God to mankind. And they were given the lineage of the Messiah. And that's the point that's being made here in verse 5. And we want to pick up here and consider um, the, the lineage of the Messiah and, and the, the significance of who the Messiah is and both of their rejection of their Messiah but also of God's plan because God drew the line. He, he drew a line that, that, uh, that separates all of mankind. Uh, and on one side are, are those that enter into eternal life. They pass out of death and into life through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And on the other hand are those that reject Jesus Christ and they're lost forever uh, with this relationship with our Creator. It's a horrible thing, a horrible fate. The Apostle Paul feels the weight of it in his love for his, his kinsmen, his love for his brethren, and he's, he's mindful of these things, and we should be as well, uh, and <clears throat> that we may have the, the heart and the compassion of Christ for others uh, and for the nation of Israel, uh, that we might provoke them to jealousy because of the relationship that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what the scripture says, uh, that God desires to provoke them to jealousy, uh, to make them envious of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Think about it. Here this morning we were able to sing to him and, and we're able to experience and know the indwelling of God's Spirit in our hearts and lives. And, and God's Spirit is, is teaching you and opening your heart to the understanding of His Word and His truth. And we have this relationship with the Lord God. And ultimately we have a face-to-face -face relationship because the Lord Jesus is to return. Uh, but they're given the lineage of the Messiah and we find Christ's human descent was, was through these fathers. We talk about the patriarchs. And the patriarchs, uh, were, whose are the fathers? From whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever? Amen. So through the fathers came this, this line of the, the promise of the coming redemption of mankind through the fathers. When God called out Abraham, it was according to God's divine plan for the redemption of mankind. And it was through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the founding of this nation of Israel, that these wonderful things that in God's plan were set forth and brought about. So the Bible teaches that Jesus was a Jew. He's Jewish. So if you don't like Jews, you've, you're, 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 uh, just remember that Jesus was Jewish. And we should love the Jewish people because of, of, of God's plan and, and special purpose for the Jewish people. And, so, uh, and then we find this passage uh, in... Um, in uh, Matthew 1.17 there. Yeah. Uh, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation 
to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. All of that's traced, and they kept records of these things. And so we know that, that Jesus was born of Mary, according to the flesh, as it says there, um, that uh, by to them belong the patriarchs from whom and from them by human descent came the Christ. The Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, came through these generations of Jewish people. And the Father uh, has uh, this wonderful plan. Now, the big question that, that Christ asks is, but who do men say that I am? Uh, and that is, is the big question. It is the, the determining factor uh, as to, to whether one passes out of death and into life or not. Jesus said it another way, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And isn't it great to know the Lord Jesus? Isn't it great to know life? Isn't it a wonderful thing that we've passed out of death and into life and, and that we can come here on Sunday morning and sing about it and worship God for his graciousness and goodness and for his plan, a wonderful plan to save uh, a very uh, stubborn and rebellious mankind. And I'm talk talking about you. <laughs> In case you're wondering, uh, we are stubborn. We are hard-headed. We were the enemies of God, and it's those enemies of God that Christ, in His compassion, uh, was willing to set His glories aside and come and take upon Him flesh. Uh, and so it was from them His His human descent came, but Christ uh, came from heaven, and He. Uh, dwelt among men to accomplish this wonderful thing. So the big question here, and, and I, I wouldn't uh, want for us to miss that, is uh, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, that's, that's the question that, that uh, is the determining factor, the big uh, determining thing that, that answers the big question about really not only who Jesus is, but who we are in light of our God and Creator, right? Um, so <clears throat> if we were created, if God is God and we were created, then uh, that relationship with Him is, uh, is the thing that's, that's empty in our hearts. It's, it's the, the one thing that, that must be remedied. Uh, that reconciliation with who we are as God's created beings. Uh, so in, in order to get there to that identity as to who we are, and, and I just can't express the, the importance, the significance of, of knowing our identity in relationship to our God and Creator, that He is God and we are His creatures, and we'll never know true satisfaction and true life and true that, that, that Christ is speaking of eternal life. Christ said, I, I, I came, I, I pray that you may have joy and fullness of joy. And that fullness of joy and that 
uh, that getting away from that empty feeling that's in your heart and your life about who you are is directly related to who Jesus is and to who God is and to who God created you to be. And whatever you seek for in life, will, you'll find empty and vain and meaningless apart from this relationship with your God and Creator. That's the bottom line. And you can go after other things and you can seek, seek after temporal things that will pass away, but only Jesus and only that relationship with Him will satisfy and will answer the question, who am I? You see, that's the nature of it. That's the way it works. And that's what salvation really means. Uh, this is eternal life to know thee the one true God and Jesus Christ who now is sin. Eternal life, the, the flow of life comes from that knowledge of our God and Creator and that relationship of our God and Creator. And there's only one relationship that we can have with our God and Creator that provides that kind of peace and that kind of joy. And it is that relationship where He is on the throne and you're subservient. You are in submission to your Lord and God. And you can seek and you can try to shake your fist in the wind and you can try to do whatever you try to do in, in this life on earth and you'll find that it's emptiness and vanity apart from, from knowing God and pursuing God and yielding to God that which is rightfully His, the Lordship of your life. Uh, he's the one that needs to be in control. If you want to know fullness of life, if you want to know who you really are and who you were really created to be, and if you want to have the peace and joy and satisfaction that only God can supply to his creatures, uh, this is where it is. Who is Jesus? So, uh, and, it, and this question answers the, the, the really uh, significant thing is what is Christianity? What makes up Christianity? Uh, because we have all kinds of things out there, and it's very confusing. But how do we determine that that one group is Christian and the other is not? That question came up this morning, Julian. Um, <clears throat> how do we determine that one group is a Christian group and the other is not? And what are the essentials? And where do we draw the lines to fellowship with those who hold errant views of Scripture in varying degrees but who are part of the body of Christ? All of these questions... Um, where do we draw the lines of fellowship with those who are outside the Christian faith? Uh, all, all of these things, um, uh, these questions uh, stem and, and, and come and are answered by who Jesus Christ is. It's the, it's the one universal truth and principle that, that answers uh, these, these questions. And uh, they're... There are things that, that go along with that in the nature, but, but Christ said uh, that, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. The, the things that, if, uh, that, we're, that we're to hold on to that doctrine that he has given to us, that truth that he's given to us. Uh, so, and it's all de determined by who is, 
that is it that man says that I am? Who do you say Christ is? Uh, so let's take a look at and consider some of these things. Uh, Paul's kinsmen are given the revelation to God, to mankind, and they're given the lineage of the Messiah. So his human nature came through the woman's seed. And we find in Scripture uh, that, that he took upon himself, you know, he... he uh, he, that human descent uh, through Mary was prophesied from the, the beginning. It was given uh, by God to, to Adam and Eve that their, uh, the woman's seed would, would uh, bruise the head of uh, Satan. So, uh, you know, we're engaged in this spiritual warfare, this, this uh, conflict that involves God and his created angelic beings. It also involved and engaged humanity in that rebellion. And, and God, from the very beginning, gave this, this truth that there, it would be through the woman's seed that this conflict would be overcome. It would be conquered. It would be done with. So we see the unfolding of these things in Scripture. We don't know exactly uh, how it's going to unfold and and. But we can look at things uh, now and understand certain things about, about life because uh, of God's, because we understand these things that have been given, again, to the Jewish people and through the Jewish line uh, in regard to, to that uh, plan that God has to overcome uh, the rebellious nature of man, the rebellion that is under mankind, and, and that angelic rebellion. But it's the virgin that shall be with child, she shall bear a son. And it's that son, our Lord Jesus, that is addressed here in these verses. The Apostle Paul is acknowledging uh, the significance of God's plan and the unfolding for the Jewish nation. The Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. And for those of you that have been studying the early hour there and, and reading uh, and keeping up with the things uh, and Bible framework, the uh, the virgin birth is has been assaulted from the very first days. Uh, immediately, it was was addressed and assaulted. Uh, and today, uh, we have seen and found in our churches that uh, false teachers have arisen and, and they disavow the virgin birth. And I, I should. I should have examples for you because there's many examples of those that are in major denominations that are simply teaching that the, the virgin birth is a myth, that, that God uh, doesn't do things outside of natural law, and therefore, you know, it's just a neat story and a, a kind of a myth in Scripture. And they actually teach these things. They teach them in the seminaries. And they teach them, they proclaim them from the pulpits. Uh, and it's just a rejection of the, the uh, sovereignty of God, the power of God, uh, and the, the reality that God can work outside of natural law. Miracles declare that God is above the, the natural things that we know on, uh, in God's creation. He's outside of the creation. He transcends the, the, the creation. He was outside of it. Um, and so 
this virgin-born child uh, was the Son of God, the Word of God that came. So um, the ne next slide, we see that uh, the Messiah was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that Mary, a virgin, gave birth to a son, uh, and it was not a son through the lineage of Adam number one, right? We studied like Romans chapter 5 there. There was the first Adam, and then there was the second Adam, that Christ came, and he was not of the lineage of Adam. Uh, and that uh, sin and death and rebellion that fell upon mankind was not passed on through the Messiah because the Messiah was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so when those things were mentioned to Eve in the garden and passed on, we see uh, that there were uh, many uh, myths about the virgin and pagan uh, religions spoke about the virgin. And where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? Well, it, it, it came from Adam and Eve, according to the scripture. It came from after the fall, when God proclaimed these things. <clears throat> and so the Messiah uh, was coming as a second Adam to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then uh, in the next slide there we see, but when he had considered, and behold, this is speaking of Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or he will save his people from their sin. So this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, a miraculous act, something that, that, that can't happen by nature. And so you have these theologians, or so-called theologians, that reject something that's outside of natural law and say, well, this miracle couldn't happen, so it must be a, like a story or, or something to promote some things the religious truths that are helpful for mankind. That's kind of how they look at things. So, But God wants for us to know that Jesus' birth was a miracle by the Holy Spirit. God's giving of Jesus and Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. You can't hardly not get into the Trinity here as you look at these verses, right? But Jesus' birth was a miracle by the Holy Spirit. Again, the significance of these things and understanding who Jesus is is pretty significant for us, right? Uh, so, uh, and as we consider these really, you know, astounding things, this incredible gift that was given by God, uh, it's, it's difficult for us to put them together from the rational perspective, right? Uh, so basically for those believers, uh, we simply believe God's word, what he has revealed to us and have to acknowledge. As a believer, you have to acknowledge that God knows more than you know, 
and what he revealed to us in his word, he was able to do because he's God. He's able to reveal to us things that we do not logically understand. So we don't logically understand how the Holy Spirit could birth through Mary, a virgin, a baby boy. But God, his power is such that he can do such a thing and even though we don't understand the, the logical outlay uh, of that, nonetheless, God is able to do what is unexpected. God is not in a box. He's not, he's not uh, under the natural laws that we're under. He's outside of them. He proved it when Jesus came and the many miracles that he did was proof that I am God. It was proof that his power was outside the, the, the human bounds of, of human nature and, and the things that, that we're constrained by. Jesus Christ was not constrained by them. He walked on water. He spoke and the storm stopped. He healed the blind. <coughs> Those blind from birth. All of these natural laws and natural rules that are constraint to us were nothing to Jesus Christ because he was born of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was uh, the Word. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there with the, the next uh, slide that we would look at, we see that, Behold, the virgin shall, be, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. And translated from the Hebrew, it means God with us. God came to be with us through Jesus Christ. The second Adam was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and he came, God came in the flesh to be amongst mankind. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what God says, and we believe it. We put our faith in his word and in these miraculous things that God has done that is proven that he is God and not a man. He's not some superior being that, that somehow got superior intelligence because he evolved uh, to a certain state, but he was outside of his creation, the creator of all things, and he is able to break all the laws if he so chooses in accordance with his nature, of course. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. And believers, you need to know this. You need to be solid and sound on this, this doctrine. And proof of it is the, the reaction to the virgin birth, to the truth that God came in the flesh to be with us. Uh, that reaction tells us that, that that's where the spiritual, that this is a significant thing that's, that's, that's taken place. Uh, and it is significant uh, <laughs> because uh, of the very nature of, of the, the division that it causes, right? Because there's only two things that you can do. You can either receive it or reject it. And however you, however you reject, it's all one thing. And Jesus did not leave uh, anyone at the place where they could take them. There, there was another choice. It was the only choice. He had one thing that is essential.
And, and this is a, the most essential decision that is to be made. Out of death and into life or in death indefinitely. So the Bible teaches that Jesus is God and he's able to do these things. So uh, looking at the, the next verse there, Paul's kinsmen are given God's revelation and they're given the lineage of the Messiah. And, and we find that, that Christ is the uh, theoanthropic hypostatic union. Um, so that's a big mouthful and let me define it a little bit before it, for you. Um, and I put it in your notes just so that you would have it there uh, and you can learn some uh, terms that, that describe, you know, who, who do men say that I am? Well, you're the theoanthropic hypostatic union of God with man. So theo means is the, the uh, Greek word for God and anthropic is for man, right? So God, man hypostatic union, a union of those two things together. So you say, well, explain to me logically how that can happen, and, and I can't do it. Um, but this is what God's Word teaches, that the Word, God, became flesh, that He was born of a virgin, that He came and dwelt among us, and that He uh, offered Himself in His humanity there on the cross of Calvary for all mankind, and he substituted for you and for me uh, for the death that is rightfully ours, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is uh, salvation and life and passing out of death and into life. So it was necessary for Jesus to do what mankind could not do for himself. It was necessary for Jesus to come and for his great love for you to be expressed on the cross of Calvary that he might substitute for the sin uh, which is offensive to God that is in every one of our lives. For the scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's outside of that except one that was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit and was sinless and it was necessary for a sinless man to pay the price and the penalty for our sin because the penalty for that sin was death. And over and over in the Old Testament as the Jewish people would take their, their sacrifices there in the temple, in that temple worship, uh, there was a a description of, of God's plan that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And these, these pictures were given for, for centuries and century upon century. Blood from the sacrificed animal that, and, and just think of the very nature that if with our physical bodies, we take in uh, physical food and the sacrifice of, of animals uh, to sustain us physically. Uh, and Christ came and said, I, you know, that, that um, unless you partake my flesh and drink my blood, you shall, you know, he's describing himself as a lamb, as the lamb of God, that spiritually, that it was his substitution, his shed blood, 
his sacrifice for our sin that paid that, that which was necessary that we might have life, that we might receive life. And so this picture is just given throughout all humanity. It's passed on to us. And it's true in regard to, to God's plan <clears throat> for our redemption, for our salvation. And so then we look at uh, the uh, Christ, the anthropic hypostatic union. The hypostasis is like the foundation and it, uh, <clears throat> it's um, in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So God, Christ, no man ascends into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. That's what Jesus had to say about himself. So the Son of God, he existed in the form of God. He thought it not robbery or not a thing to be hold it, held on to, to be equal with God, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This is the Lord Jesus. This is the, the sacrifice that he made and what he did. And we'll never lay hold of what it meant for him to leave the, the, the joy of his Father's presence and the, the, the glory of heaven to take upon himself uh, the likeness of mankind. Notice that it doesn't say he became a man, but he, he was in the likeness of men that he was made through the, uh, the virgin birth, through the conception of the Holy Spirit, so God wants you to know that Jesus came down from heaven and was made in the likeness of man. So, but the second Adam was different than the first Adam, right? <clears throat> and he is our Savior. Who is our Savior? God is our Savior. Who is Christ? God. Okay? But God, in order to redeem mankind, took upon himself human flesh to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross of Calvary. And so moving on, Christ, in regard to the hypostatic union, uh, the scripture tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so if we go back to the beginning of, of creation of all material things that we see, the scripture tells us that in the beginning, was before the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory it's taught in scripture this is what god's word tells us this is what jesus and his disciples uh, wrote and declared that god did so the bible teaches that jesus was god and became a human to live among us he, he took on humanity, and he was complete in his humanity. Now, let's look at a couple of things that we would see here in regard to this truth. Uh, first, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's, the point is that he didn't cease being God. He didn't become one thing from another. He was both. And you say, well, how can you explain that to me logically? I can't explain it to you logically. But the word declares that he did not cease to be God. He, 
He took upon himself human flesh. And then here we have our doctrinal statement. So you can look at this. But we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful mankind. So this is what we believe at Grace Bible Church. This is what Christianity believes. So who do men say that I am? This is who we say that Jesus Christ is. We say it because it's been revealed to us in the Scripture, not because we logically understand, not because uh, science has proven and man somehow has proven these things, but we, we say it because God has revealed it through the nation of Israel and through the, the coming through the, the lineage of the patriarchs the, and the offspring <clears throat> through the virgin of the Son of God uh, to come to in order to redeem and save mankind. And then we have... Uh, the process of the incarnation, the incarnation, the Son of God, the Word, and there's, there's uh, became man, uniting in the single person of the Son, two distinct and complete natures, deity and humanity. So that's a statement of the process that is revealed to us in Scripture. That's why we believe it, because the Scripture teaches it to us, and it, and it says it. Uh, in the, again, in the early morning class, we're looking at, at some of the things that happen uh, as, as Christ ascended to be in the, in the heavens. There were all of these false teachings that came in. Why did the false teaching come in? Because there's spiritual warfare. There's rebellion against God. <clears throat> and as these, these false teachings came in, there was a clarification of the Trinity and the, the deity of Christ and the hypostatic union of the Christ, and it was, it was pounded out in Scripture. Like, well, what does the Scripture say about it? That's how they determined uh, who do men say that I am. And it was important, these things that happen in church history, in finding the truth of the revelation of what Scripture gave to us uh, so that we might have a firm foundation and that our salvation in Christ Jesus might be true. So God who made man was made man. Isn't that cool? Christ Jesus who made man. The scripture tells us Colossians chapter 1. Read Colossians chapter 1. He created all things. Okay. So if Christ created all things and was made man, God who created man became man. Jesus Christ. It's awesome. He's an awesome God. And we worship the Lord Jesus this morning. We worship our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus. And we enjoy the, the Holy Spirit of God who has revealed to us the truth of these things through His Word. And here we have a good statement on the incarnate the incarnate Christ. In the incarnation, the Son of God, a human nature was expressed was inseparably united forever with the divine nature in one person of Jesus Christ, yet with two natures remaining distinct, whole and unchanged, without mixture or confusion, so that the one person, Jesus Christ, is truly God and truly man. He's God 
and he didn't cease to be God when he became man. He didn't mix God-man. He's not a God-man type of thing. He's still God. He's still God the Son. He's still uh, man, uh, and he became man. So uh, those are the statements. And then uh, finally here, a final point, um, Paul's kinsmen are given the revelation of God to mankind, and, and we have this hypostatic union. Uh, but this wonderful passage in Matthew 22, 42 through 45, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So, and we find a number of statements by the Lord Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, there's just uh, a number of, of indications and, and teaching in Scripture about the nature of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of David, right? Okay. Well, um, let's close in prayer. Now, Father in heaven, we know that no one ascends into heaven but the Lord Jesus who descended from heaven.